morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 12 today as we continue to read the entire Bible out loud, book by book and chapter by chapter. And when you look at Revelation 12, uh, this is one where you're really thankful for the context and everything that we've read so far because uh, th this is maybe one of the most well-known chapters of Revelation. You've got the war in heaven between Michael and the angels of light and the great dragon Satan and the angels of darkness. There's this war. What's going on? Is this something that is, is going to happen at some point in the future? And what's going to happen? Or is this, as we've seen with a lot of these things, perhaps something in the past? Um, and then, of course, what does that mean for us as we look, uh, especially at the, the woman who escapes on the wings of the eagle to be nourished and comforted? Uh, we see ourselves in that picture as well. Joining us today, we've got returning Pastor Mark Jasa, pastor at Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Pasadena, California. Good morning, brother. So good to have you back again. And yeah, Revelation chapter 12, you got yourself a juicy one today. <laughs> good morning. Yeah, this is a really interesting chapter. Yeah, definitely. And it's... um. You know, it's it's one, like I was saying, I, I think that this is one of the chapters in Revelation that people uh, re remember. Like, I think this is one that people have stand out in their minds. Like, I think I remember I was um, looking at these uh, these action Bibles, these kind of like, they're they're sort of like, um, I'm trying to think of what's the word now. It's not like a, a manga, like a graphic uh, yeah, novel. Right. Yeah. And, and right. like, um, it, it it, for Revelation, I, I think I just saw like, you know, there's the, the rider on the white horse with the sword and the dragon. It's like, that's like kind of the, the, the picture summary of Revelation, like the big battle, right? And, you know, no one ever remembers the part about the, the seven lampstands. But uh, as popular as this part is, maybe not so well understood. Yeah, lampstands aren't so exciting. The dragons <laughs> right. are. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, but so it's it's uh it's it's good though you know you, you take a look at this stuff that you know a lot of people uh, are looking at and and thinking about and um, a lot of people have talked about and it's it's important to to read this in context and I do think this is one where like I was saying the context especially the last two chapters I think really 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 helps so uh, looking forward to digging into this one with you today as we get started would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening along today as well as all of our brothers and sisters all over heavenly father we thank you for your word and we thank you that in the center of your word is your son saving us the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood we thank you and we pray that you would open up the scriptures to us in jesus name Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So looking at Revelation chapter 12, um, you know, it, it might help if we just kind of recall a little bit of what we read in chapter 11. Uh, last time we were looking, we finally reached that seventh and final trumpet blast. Um, and, and we were kind of talking about how it was a little bit seemingly uh, anticlimactic that you know, you, you had like these uh, these three woes. The last three trumpet blasts were like really uh, severe, destructive, right? And, and and the seventh trumpet sounds, and you know, it's um, it's it's worship, it's celebration. Um, it, there's 
not apparently right um any destruction or at least it's not obvious um and then and it's kind of in the midst of all this that you have chapter 12 coming um so let's just read uh, just the like maybe like the verse first two verses and i'm going to ask you what you think is the connection because i think this is kind of the first really big question um where how does this connect to everything we've read so far so here's just the first two verses of chapter 12 then and a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So I mean, this is a very uh, detailed description. Um, you know, you have th this great attention applied to it. You know, a great sign appeared in heaven. How does this great sign relate to everything that we've read so far? Is this something else that's happening um, in connection to the seventh trumpet blast? Is this the, the next thing that happens? Is this a, a new cycle that resets the clock? I mean, how, how does this connect? So what we're seeing here is the uh, overview of what has been going on from the beginning of the world. Uh, in the very beginning, in, Gen in Genesis chapter 3, we had a woman, and that woman was given a promise that the seed would crush the head of the serpent. So uh, this, there's this continuation that goes all through the Bible. This seed would be carried. Um, so I'm jumping. Uh, <laughs> there are verses that I'm seeing that in this chapter uh, that are that I'm seeing connect to, to this as well. But sure. um, the 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 devil has been. So the, the serpent, the devil, he has been trying to stop that seed all through the whole Old Testament. We, we see this in, uh, in a very vivid picture when um, the Israelites are in Egypt and the Pharaoh tries to destroy all the male, male boy, uh, children being born. So that's, that's one, one episode. But over and over again, we see the devil trying to stop this line. We, we see the devil trying to destroy the, the seed that's coming from this woman. Uh, obviously, we see it in Jesus himself. When, when Mary is giving birth to Jesus, uh, the, there's an attack on, on all the boys. Again, all the young boys are, are uh, killed except Jesus escapes down to Egypt. Um, so th this, this chapter is an overview of all the things that, that have been going on since the beginning of history. Right. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And, it's, um, and I think it is important to, to see how there is, I think, some sequence that we're going to be able to pick out here. Um, but you you can't you gotta take the the bigger awareness here because you know it, it's um, one of the things that you see right is that this is described as a sign right um, and actually um, as uh, is noted in the Concordia commentary in Revelation you know the word sign here actually is as much as <laughs> you think it might be thrown around left and right 
is actually used kind of selectively um, in, in the book of Revelation, um, which, which kind of signals to you that this is a, a turning point of, of some kind. And um, as you look at this sign, right, the description that you have, um, it shows you, I think, maybe the, the way I can try to like put this here, uh, the, the tense is as the woman is described, it's like this is all kind of like just what's going on or what's been going on. Um, you don't necessarily see that this is um, something that like is like the next thing that happens. So I think your way of putting it is really is really apt that this is this is kind of the situation that's been going on, in fact, um, since the very beginning, as you were putting it, since since Eden, right? So, um, you know, yeah. you understand then uh, this this woman, this this sign to kind of be this this picture of this. And I suppose, you know, kind of along the lines of what you were describing, if you had to kind of say that who the woman is, uh, I guess you'd kind of put it as the the people of God, or at least kind of the um, maybe like the the line of the Messiah, at least something like or along these lines. So um, it, it's not this is like you know the woman like you know happens like next like after all the things mm -hmm. that we we just saw in the seven trumpet blasts, um, but um, that really kind of the woman in fact in some ways was kind of there all along during all those trumpet blasts and everything else that we saw beforehand. Yeah, I've heard some commentators say that, well, the woman is the Old Testament believers and and Mary herself and the New Testament believers. It's wherever Christ is being carried. And right. certainly <laughs> no more obvious place of Christ being carried than in the womb of his mother. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's right. And, and of course, you know, you, you could just... Uh, and and that is a little bit interesting that I feel like you could just really easily be like, okay, well, this is, this is Mary. Right. Um, right. But, and, and I think in some ways you can kind of make that connection in terms of like, of course, you know, Mary, the mother of our Lord uh, exemplifies this and, um, you know, is such a representative of, of this, but, you know, this description here, I mean, like, what, what do you make of it? You know, clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars. I mean, like this is, I think when you look at the description, th th this you have to take this as the, in a sense, not just a one particular person like Mary, but like yeah. the people of God. We've talked about the 12 number before, that being the number that represents the people of God, like in the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, right? Um, help us right. out with the rest of the language. So, um I think that the interesting thing about the sun, she's clothed with the sun. So the sun is not like when we see Jesus on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the sun is shining from his face. This is that same light, but it's not shining from her face. It, she's clothed with it. So it's a derived, it's a borrowed uh, brightness. Hmm. So whereas Jesus, the, the, the brightness comes from him with the people of God, with the Old Testament believers, with the New Testament church, um, it is a, um, it, it's close, as, as the text itself says, she's, she's clothed with it, as you and I and the whole church, we are all clothed with the sun, the S-U-N, right. the, the brightness of, of <laughs> yes. the Lord, his righteousness. Right. Uh, right, yeah. The moon so under her feet, yeah, sorry. 
Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, so the, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. We've, and we've seen the sun, like, you know, pop up before, too. Like, we didn't really um, talk about it that much when it when it did occur. But when we had that, 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 that big mighty angel that came down, right, we saw that he was wrapped in a cloud, right? Like that same kind of, I think, I think it's actually the same language of our call back in chapter 10. Um, it, it said there, what was it? it was, yeah, peri beblemenon. Yeah, I think that's actually the same word here um, that you have here that she is, like, like the angel was wrapped in the cloud. She is um, wrapped here, where is it? In chapter 12 here, that she is wrapped. Uh, yeah, same word, in fact, uh, with the sun. So like you were saying, it's not that she like is that or like has that herself, but it's, um, I think you used the word borrowed. That's a good way of putting it. So similarly, that great angel, right? Um, isn't isn't God himself, but is um, wrapped in the presence of God. So very, very similar. But yeah, what do you what do you make of the the moon under her feet? Because that that's a that's a little bit different. I'm not sure we've seen um, kind of, that kind of language quite like that in Revelation. Yeah, I think this also goes along with the the borrowed because uh, the the clothed because the moon under her feet certainly points us back to Genesis when um, when Joseph uh, talked about how he would rule over the house of Jacob. And uh, obviously Jesus is the one who... Uh, so Joseph has this dream where he's... Uh, all the, the, the moon and the sun and, and all the stars bow down to him. And so here we have the 12 stars and the, 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 on, on her crown and the moon under her feet. Um, so this talks about dominion. And who is the one who is, uh, has domain, uh, dominion even over the house of Jacob? That's Jesus. In, in Luke chapter 133, you know, Jesus is the one. And so this woman is being is is given the uh the dominion the uh, of uh of uh, of the one who is the master um, yeah yeah so, yeah no, again, that, this is borrowed yeah yeah yeah, that, that is really interesting you bring that up, you know, the whole idea of um, the Old Testament idea, really, of what it, what it means to talk about, like, the, the moon and, and the moon, um, you know, even, like, bowing down or uh, being under, right? I mean, you look at Genesis, because we've been talking a lot about Genesis um, and the connections to Revelation. And, you know, in Genesis 1, for example, the sun and the moon, they rule over um, the, the light and the day, the day and the night, um, the stars, Right. Uh, and uh, it, it's then the man, the woman, that rule over the animals and the earth, right? So they have separate domains. Um, and you wouldn't say from the perspective of Genesis 1 that um, that man rules over the sun and the moon and, and the stars and the, and the night and the day. Um, so so that's, that it, that is, uh, at first you're kind of like, well, now that, that's, that's kind of weird. That almost seems like, um, I mean, who rules over the moon? But, I mean, God himself. But... As you were putting it, like with connection to like uh, Joseph's dream, uh, you you can have the the sun and the moon kind of represent uh, these other sorts of ideas. Um, and in this case, um, in Joseph's dream, right, his, the moon represented, um, I mean, his mother, uh, right? It represented. Um, well, I mean, in that case, I guess it probably was right. referring to Leah and not 
Rachel who would have, who would have died by that point. Um, but just that idea that this is kind of the most, um, exalted among, uh, people on earth. And so being that way of talking, not just about man and woman who rule over creation, but the church that judges the nations. And I thought it was kind of interesting that though Joseph, uh, is said to rule over the house of Jacob. Uh, Jesus is the one who rules over it all. Jesus is the one who rules over right. everyone. And uh, right. So, and we see that in in Luke one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So this is already that connection to the Lord Jesus. Well. Okay, well, but as as you've already been anticipating here, you got you got to kind of read the rest of the sign here. Um, I mean. It's it's the the second occurrence actually. If the word sign occurs in, in verse three, but it really completes the same picture. So let's just keep reading here. This next chunk here, uh, three through verse six. Then so okay, you have this this woman who represents uh, the people of God in in some capacity here. Okay, what happens though? Verse three. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has pla- has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Wow. Yeah. So now th- this is a re- this is where it gets really interesting, right? Cause you've got, you've got some stuff um, that actually sounds familiar. Um, th- this, this 1,260 days, we, we saw that before that was the number that ca- uh, came up earlier in chapter 11 in connection to the two witnesses and the ministry that they had, um, which we, we already talked about that that is an, an obscure or a kind of sideways description for three and a half years. Um, so we've had these three and a half year periods um, described in connection to the two witnesses. Um, there seemed to be a similar kind of connection perhaps um, with, with what preceded even before that. So there's, there's, there's some, something familiar, but then, I mean, this dragon, this is the thing that this is, this, this is, this is kind of new. And it's quite the dragon that's described here. Um, it's particular, it's interesting that you have the color red. You don't have those color words thrown around um, like very casually in the Bible generally, um, but especially in Revelation. So it seems like there's some kind of significance there. And then, you know, seven heads, 10 horns, seven diadems. That is a lot of numbers in a short period of time. Um, so, yeah. So what's going on here with the dragon and this woman now? So the seven heads and the 10 horns, the, the, the seven heads uh, are the... Uh, the, the dragon is seeking to represent himself as God. He is he is asserting himself as the the head of all uh, authority and the, and the, the ten horns. He's asserting his his power. 
so ten is this this he ten horns this completeness of power, and seven heads his uh, showing himself to be uh, supreme, and then the, these diadems these seven diadems are uh, the um, the crowns of of power and authority. So he he is. Uh, the imposter. I, I think it's interesting how C.S. Lewis depicts uh, the um, the fake uh, lion in the last battle. I don't know if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, but in, in the last battle, he, he I think oh, yeah. he does this quite well. He has a, a lion that looks like the real lion, but it's really just what a, I think a mule covered in lion skin. Um, right. So. He puts on a good show, but there's no real, there's no substance behind it, and that's what this dragon is doing. He's right showing the world and deceiving the world into believing that he is the true source of power, the true source of authority, and that he is the rightful um, king of all things. Right. Yeah, and I think that there's. We're going to read more about that. That this dragon in particular is is really trying to take the place of God, and um, and, and of course that's only going to fit really well with everything that that comes next. But you know, as we've seen, seven being God's number, um, and and so then to to try to you know take that number himself, right? Like that's that's showing the well. I mean, what we're going to read in verse seven. What verse seven? You know, no, no, the, the verse, no, the verse numbers aren't there, right? But um, there, there is, uh, there, there is a kind of ironic connection there. Um, what do you make though of of his red color, though? I mean, because that's uh, we've been seeing that, like that. The, the, go ahead. So before I get to the red color, I just want to say that the, that this this usurping of authority is nothing new. So obviously, we right. saw it in the Old Testament mm-hmm. uh, with. Uh, kings saying, "Hey, you need to bow down to me. You you need to worship me as God." We see we see this in Rome. Uh, so this uh, political leaders saying that I am God is is not a new thing. This this is not some thing that we need to look for in the future. Although I'm sure in the future, in the past, you know, past, present, future, it's always going on. Just as the other images are always going on. Uh, and then the red, uh, we've seen the red in the past as blood yeah. and as right. death and murder. And so mayhem is on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. And we, and we saw it particularly, right. With the color red came up in connection to, it was the sixth, it was the sixth woe or, um, the, the sixth trumpet blast that, which was the second woe rather, um, when you had, I mean, there was, there was a lot <laughs> of red color in connection to that. It was, um, I mean, it wasn't even just like once it was like a triply red description here. If I can um, pull that back up, it was in, uh, this was in chapter 10, I think. So like back in, uh, or I guess it was, uh, no, 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 that's right. It was, it was, um, chapter nine, right before that, that you had, it said here that there was this this big army of these um, 
I mean, it was this army that like looked like lions, it said. And it said, this is back in chapter nine, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And there was just lots of descriptions of, of, of fieriness in general, right? Um, oh, hang on a second. Sorry for, for, sorry for that. Um, and if you look at that uh, closely, we, we didn't talk about this that much, but the word sapphire there is a little bit of an ambiguous word. Um, technically speaking, you've got that as a, not necessarily something that's blue that we commonly think of, but maybe something that's actually closer to ruby. Um, so there might be a connection here, but we, we got to take a break here before we can go any further on that thought. But everybody, hang on. We're looking at Revelation chapter 12 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. The other disciples were excited to run up and tell Thomas, who was not with him, that they had seen the Lord. But Thomas said, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. Well, he did just that a week later and exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I'll talk about that statement this Saturday and Sunday morning at 7.45 a.m. Central on Moments of Assurance Weekend, KFUO. Hello, I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of the share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff, and volunteers during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 20th. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 12 today. We're joined by our guest, Pastor Mark Jasa, pastor at Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Pasadena, California. If you've got a question for us, for me or Pastor Jason, you can give us a call at 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. 
or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. A lot of things we have going on in this chapter, uh, so we'll have good opportunities for questions if you are listening live. Also, uh, be sure when you have a moment to check out the page of our underwriters who are supporting us at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Their website is lhfmissions.org. So I want to get back to this. Uh, yeah, so, right. So, Mark, you were just taking us through this, that you, you've got, you know, these these numbers, which are really, um, it's important to see this, you know, the seven, um, this is an imitation of God. So it's someone who's um, assuming or pretending at God's power. Um, ten, it's, we've kind of seen this, you know, tens and thousands and things like that. This is like a human um, power number, particularly like a militaristic one. Um, the kind of, of, you know, fighting by force. Right. Um, but, but yeah, they got this red color then too. And, uh, we were just looking at how, well, actually we did see a bunch of this red here back in chapter nine. Um, we were, and we we're just talking about that, how it says here, they wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And if you, you look up that word sapphire, um, you know, this, and this is one of these things where I, I didn't know this for a long time, but um, apparently the only difference between a, a, a sapphire and a ruby is, is um, the impurities that are there in the gemstone. Like the, the actual stone is the same, um, but depending on the impurities, you can get anything from, you know, a deep blue to um, a bright red. So kind of three times they're wearing this, this red color. And um, that, that's pretty interesting uh, because they're, there is really kind of one big association um, with the color red that we have um, in the Old Testament. And, uh, and and of course, you mentioned one with with blood, um, and that's there. But one of the big ones, we saw this in the book of Isaiah, the color red represents Edom. Um, and it represents Edom mm. in, a, in, a real, in a really kind of direct way because uh, the, the word Edom, in fact, is just pretty much just means red. <laughs> it's the same word um, in in Hebrew. And we saw this, that symbolism for Edom um, was uh, a really big deal in Isaiah. And uh, that's, that's pretty interesting um, for a few reasons. Like one, like back in chapter nine, we didn't really have a chance to talk about this, but um, it says that you, you had that, uh, the, the 20,000 um, times 10,000 troops that come up we know historically that right before the destruction of the temple, um, actually Josephus records 20,000 Edomites, right? Edomians, right? Mm -hmm. Rode up to the city of Jerusalem. Um, and unlike um, the, the zealot factions that were there before, who were just fighting over food supplies, um, which is an interesting connection to locusts earlier in chapter nine, um, Unlike them, they actually go through the city and actually start killing people in, in violence. So it is really interesting to consider how Edom uh, might be factoring into this because Edom, of course, is sort of like kind of like this like original um, prototypical enemy of God's people throughout the Old Testament, isn't it? Yeah. And um, so it, it's, it's interesting to me how... Uh, while we want, you know, when we look at the Bible, we want to say, well, how does this apply to me? And yes, this chapter does apply to you, but it also, we can see how right. it applied to the first, first century, uh, right. first century church. And, um, yeah. 
and how they, Jesus warned them that when you see the armies mounting, when you see trouble brewing, know this, that the time is, it's the time to flee is now, get out of there. Right. And uh, right. Christians did, in fact, leave Jerusalem. They did get out of the city and they fled and they were saved. They were uh they found a place prepared by God where they were nourished. <laughs> and so they right. they were protected. Right. Yeah, so, that, that's that's right. So it does it does um and, and in fact uh it, I think that one the one thing that we maybe didn't talk about yesterday in connection to chapter 11 is that you know if you kind of see those sorts of first century connections as you were putting it um you know, it, it could be that the kind of oblique woe, third woe of the seventh trumpet, because like it doesn't actually narrate the destruction, right, very clearly in the seventh trumpet blast. But it says here that, that the temple in heaven, says God's temple in heaven was opened. Um, you know, could that be kind of an indirect uh, description of the destruction of the physical temple at that moment? Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and so that, if you if you kind of take it that way, you know where you've got you know the um you know the, the, these twenty thousand Idumean um, troops who show up, and then of course um, Rome is going to come and just actually destroy the whole thing. Um, but then in the background, it's not just you know um, you know zealots, Idumeans, Romans. You have this is the heavenly perspective here. Behind it all is Satan. And so whether it was the Idumean, the 20,000 red Idumean soldiers, whether it's the, um, you know, the, the, the 10 like horns, uh, Rome, right. Who, who seems to have all earthly power, whether it's, um, the seven heads, right. The, um, the zealots who claim to be, um, acting on behalf of God, there's actually one dragon who's kind of behind all of those physical manifestations. This is the one spiritual enemy of God, um, regardless right. of all the earthly different forms that might be going on. And yeah, it, it reminds me of the fact that this, this war is not a war of flesh and blood, though we right. do see it play out in flesh and blood. This is a war of it's a spiritual warfare, and and I liked how Dr. Brighton talks about it in his commentary. It's a war of words because Satan is the accuser, and so uh, his his greatest uh, weapon is the accusation. Right, he accuses us, and that's why we need the the advocate who is going to stand up against him with his word. Right. You know, and, and that really is something because the Christian church keenly in their context in the first century um, would have felt the accusation from all those different groups, right? Um, whether it was, um, you know, the the Romans who, I mean, let I me mean, just think about what the Romans said and did. You had um, Pontius Pilate, of course, put that sign above the Lord's, above the Lord's cross at the crucifixion, you know, like this is the king of the Jews, right? This is what we think of mm -hmm. your power. This is what we think of you guys trying to assert yourselves. Um, you, you had, right. um, of course, the, the the Jews who did not believe in Jesus Christ who were saying, hey, you guys are starting some kind of sect or or cult or, you, you know, you're not, you're not really following God's way. 
right? So, I mean, there's, there was accusations, right? Um, and in the same way that we yeah. saw back in chapter 11, how, you know, you had the witnesses of God calling out for repentance, but, you know, I mean, they, they killed uh, James the Just, the brother of our Lord. They didn't, they didn't want to hear it, and they accused him of, you know, causing trouble and stirring up uh, problems, even though it was it was the violence and the evil of men's hearts that that brought that judgment on them. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's the same thing in that situation as we have today. That you know, from all sides, whether it's you know from uh, people who are hostile in general to religion, or people who are saying like, oh well, but you guys you don't have the the correct religion or, or whatever the case may be. There's there's always that spirit of accusation, um, which which is just the the spirit of of the dragon that's described here. By the way, I thought it was interesting that uh, you brought up the Edomites, and we know that the Herods, King Herod, Herod That's was right. an Edomite, yeah, and so he exactly. was. He, and and it, we talked earlier about the seven heads and the ten horns being a false, um, a false representative. And talk about right. false. Here's the guy representing Israel, representing uh, the the kingdom there, and he's not even an Israelite. Right. Well, yeah, no, and isn't that something there actually? Because Herod actually kind of embodies this really well, because Herod is an Idumean red, right? Um, yeah. He is yeah. he is though the the the, the so called king, right? Of um of yes. of the Jews of of Judea, right? So uh, the, the seven, right? Uh, but he's also a puppet of Rome, <laughs> ten, right? Yeah. I mean, and he literally tried to kill um, the Lord Jesus in his infancy. Uh, you know, so which occasioned, you know, um, Mary, his mother and, and Joseph, the guardian of our Lord to flee to the desert. So, I mean, the wilderness in Egypt in that case. So, I mean, so that, I mean, I mean, this story actually just really seems to really fit that, um, occasion. Yeah. Right. Um, but then also as we're saying that the same sort of situation with, um, the, the Christians fleeing to, to Pella, uh, and, and actually we should go ahead and read this next section here because it kind of connects more directly even than we've read so far. Um, let's go ahead and just read this next um, section here, uh, kind of getting to this point about uh, the, the fleeing. So this is verse 7 now, picking it up and going through verse 14. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they have, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, hosts, earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. 
Okay, so uh, there's uh, many, many things going on here, but but just maybe starting with that last bit there. So there we have this, um, you know, this this time of of running away again, right, um, and, and fleeing. I'll, I'll kind of ask them the kind of most basic question first. Do you think this is referring to two separate flights, two separate escapes, or is it the same one? It's it seems to be perhaps the same period, right? Because you've got time, times, and half a time, a, a way of speaking, we, so, we picked up in Daniel, which is three and a half, um, maybe like the three and right. a half years. But but some of the details are a little bit different. So how do you connect those dots? So I think our hearers should know that any time you have the, the number uh, 1,260 days or you have 42 months or time, times, and half a time, it's all referring to the same time period. All, all of right. those, they're all interchangeable. Um, right. So three and a half years is the same as 42 months, uh, which is the same as 1,260 days. So they're all the same because the Jews were using the 30-day calendar. So uh, so these right. are just all interchangeable. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think it's also important in this section we look at so many people approach uh, – I, I don't know if, if I'm correctly addressing Lutherans, but, but so many of my friends, who, especially the ones who aren't Lutheran, approach the book of Revelation with great fear. And I think we forget that this – they're celebrating going on in this right. – in That's this right. chapter, and, you know, and the, the whole book back in chapter one, verse five, starts off with to him who loves us and has yeah. freed us by from our sins by his blood. And, and we see that the the uh, the, the victory here that right. the, of the saints is by his blood. They, they have victory. And you, you hearers out there, you, you people who are listening right now, you have victory by his blood right now. You have nothing to fear. So I, I think that's this is a book of, that gives us great hope. That's right. And, and we've seen this again and again, because if, if God has seen us through all this chaos and mayhem and you know, um, I mean, I mean, just think about the situation, like with the destruction of the temple. I mean, there was a, there was a roughly, you know, three and a half year, um, you know, civil war being fought over Jerusalem between all these warring factions that were destroying the food supplies and causing all kinds of pain and suffering. Um, and then after that, there was a, you know, three and a half year, you know, just onslaught by, by the Romans. And when they broke through the walls, destroyed the city, um, snuffed out every last bastion of, um, you know, resistance. I mean, if my goodness, you know, if God can see the church through all of that, if he can see the church through the, the slavery in Egypt, if he can see the church through the exile in Babylon, then, then, then we certainly have a powerful God who can see us through whatever we're going through right now. And as I read verse 11, um, and they have conquered and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. When I read that, it reminds me of so in the last year, in 2019, I listened to an interview of these Lebanese Christians. They, they converted from Islam to Christianity. And the, the interviewer 
asked, well, aren't you in danger? And they said, well, yeah, but we would rather die with hope than live without hope. So I thought that was so interesting that yeah. they seem to, they are these saints that are, that are, we're reading about right here. The, the, those are the people. Um, right. Yeah, no, though they would die, they would die with hope, knowing well, Jesus yeah, no, it's like, them. And it's just like we saw in the previous chapter how, um, I mean, the you had the witnesses who were described like Jesus, right? That that sense of, you know, uh, what was it here at the end of uh, in, uh, in that section of the two witnesses in chapter 11? It says here that those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on all those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud. Which, um, you know, we, we, we saw, uh, does that necessarily mean that, you know, James and, and Jesus, Ben and Ananias, or two similar such figures, were, were literally raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, like just like the way Jesus did? Um uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we certainly don't have any historical indication that I'm aware of that says that, um, mm -hmm. but it could just be a way of anticipating, right? The fact that ultimately what happened to Jesus happens to all of us, right? That, you know, at, at the final judgment, no, no matter what has happened to us, no matter what they do to us, uh, we will receive resurrection and even royal heavenly splendor in the same way that our Lord Jesus has, who has gone before us. So, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, that the, the martyrs who, who die in that hope, I mean, they, they really are powerful witnesses and they powerfully testify to that hope that we all have as Christians baptized in the name of Jesus. So, so we're uh, so yeah, we're drawing these connections here. You, you have um, I, I and I think it's whether you exactly take it this way or not. Um, you know, the, the, the same time period is mentioned um, in both the the three and a half and the, the twelve sixty. So if that's referring to the the same same time period, and we're kind of getting different perspectives on it, or if this is kind of just likening, um, as we were saying, the flight to Egypt when our Lord was an infant. If that's just likening this um, to the flight uh, to Pella that the church had at the time of the destruction of the temple, you know, maybe um, maybe it's just meant meant to make that comparison, just showing again how the life of the church is is like the life of the Lord Jesus Himself. Um, and t taking it that way, you know, it really is interesting then to consider the timing of this war in heaven. Because I think that the, the interpretation that I usually hear is that there's this war in heaven that happens, I don't know, like before the Garden of Eden or like mm -hmm. before Genesis or I don't, I don't know, some place of time really early on. There's this, this early fight in heaven. Um, and then, you know, for, uh, throughout the history of the world, there's angels and demons, um, which is pretty much mm -hmm. what Paradise Lost says, right? Like Milton's big um, English epic, right. right? Paradise Lost. But I'm not sure that that's actually what this is trying to get at, um, that there was, I, but I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts? Like, what, what is this war in heaven trying to get at here that we just read in verse seven? Well, 
the war in heaven seems to be talking about going back to uh, the the moment that the child the child is caught up. Uh, the child has victory, and it, right. the child who um, the, the the one who rules all the nations with a rod of iron. Um, if you don't know who that is, go to uh, uh, what Psalm two. Um, it's right. Jesus. Right. Jesus is that child, folks, and he has this decisive victory. And um, the uh, the dragon no longer has any po- there's no longer any place for them in heaven so the dragon cannot accuse you in heaven um right. there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ um this is a now the ruler of this uh world has been cast down so um he it's right. the celebration of the decisive defeat. Now, in the Old Testament, they saw it. They hoped for it. They looked forward to it. But now we, the New right. Testament church, see this has happened. Right. And, yeah, and, um, I, and just as—oh, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I, totally, uh, I totally agree with you, brother. I think that this is really— what we need to be taking away about the significance of the ascension. You know, I mean, the ascension, this is this holiday that we just, we, we just overlook it and we skip it. It's, it probably has something to do with the fact that it's on a Thursday. And so like, it's like, <laughs> oh, well, Thursday, it's too hard, you know, like four day weekend, we can't, we can't pull that off. Right. And so, I mean, so uh, we, we skip over it, but th- there's, the, when you read the New Testament, the ascension is such a key moment. I mean, this is the moment where when when the Lord goes up, Satan goes down, you know, and it's just like you were saying, when you, when you read this straightforwardly, right? I mean, the, the way that the way that you, you take this is that, you know, the Lord Jesus is, is born. Um, he, you know, the, and this is interesting because the dragon tries to devour him, which is, I think, a way of referring to his actual death on the cross um, but in the end he is raised um, he ascends up to heaven right it says he was caught up to god into his throne um, and so following or, or occurring with the ascension you get this this war idea right and it's just like you said you know in the old testament um this was what was hoped for but the accusation it happened like in the book of job i mean you have the uh, the the accuser, right? Because he's not even. It's just kind of this this job, and there's an angel whose job it is to kind of be the the you know the district attorney or the attorney general, right? Like it's um, there there is a role in this accusation um, in God's in God's providence, but but now the time of the accusation has ended because of the blood of the Lamb. I mean, I mean, we we can't understate the significance of the Lord Jesus being crowned king in splendor um at at his ascension and so uh yeah you, you've got you've got this this being thrown down occurring with the ascension and so now there's this short time right that the the devil is trying to stir up all kinds of chaos um but but we see here that despite the devil's attempts to destroy the early christian church and and man did he try um, he's he's not successful, and um, even though that Jerusalem church uh, was the key um, critical mass, um, the church escapes. And and then I want to get your take on this because we only have a few minutes here. There's, there's this last part: the dragon tries again. Okay, 
I can't destroy them there in Jerusalem, but maybe I can destroy them somehow else. This is verse 15 now. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help uh, to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So uh, the, the devil will use all, any means possible to try to attack us. And I think it's, it's important, again, that the, the word serpent is being used Right. Uh, back in 14, we saw serpents. So um, how did the serpent uh, try? Uh, how did the serpent deceive Adam and Eve? Right. By uh, getting, enticing them to want to be God, enticing them to, um, to lose what they already had, which was their, their connection to God. And so that's what the serpent. So the serpent will do anything, and he will use the natural means. Uh, he uh, and but even the even the natural world, God is going to use to protect us. So not even right. um, the the flood. The flood comes to try to sweep her away, and the earth. Uh, God will even use supernatural means. He will use he he will use everything to protect us and to keep us. Um, in his safe in his hand, and uh, and notice that that these men, uh, the, these people, mm-hmm. these uh, they keep the commandments of God. We, right. we, you and I, are in the one true faith, and the one who has kept all of the commandments of God keeps them for you and me. And. Um, Amen. And isn't it a comfort that, you know, even though there's this, you know, Jerusalem church that's there, it, there's more church that's out there, right? Which means there's room for us. You know, we're, we're the rest of the body of Christ protected in his hand through all of his, his means. The dragon cannot prevail. Thank you so much, brother. So good hearing your voice again and look forward to having you on again really soon. Blessings on your Easter season. Great talking Everybody to you. Else, Have Pastor, a great day. Thanks, brother. That was Pastor Mark Jace at Mount Olive, Pasadena, California. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Till next time, peace. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.